Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces. Welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today is the start of a two-part series in where we will discuss why are there wars. Today we'll lead off with Psalm 46, verses 8 through 11. As usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we'll reference and read today, and we'll put those in the podcast overview. So in part one, to talk about the warfare of mankind, past, present, and future, under the influence of the Holy Scriptures, let's just dig right in. Well, good uh, evening, morning, afternoon, wherever you people are as we begin this podcast. All ships at sea. All ships at sea. The current event is the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And that begs this question, why war? Why war? Here's a quote right off the top from one of my favorite historians, Will Durant. He died back in the 1980s, but he has 11 volumes on the history of mankind, and they're just excellent. I don't think anyone could be well-informed unless you read through those 11 volumes. Here's the quote. read away. (laughs) Wars is one of the constants of history and has not diminished with civilization or democracy. Mm. Whatever we may think of democracy, it hasn't been a bulwark against war, according to Mr. Durant. And here's another one. There have been only 268 of the past 3,421 years free of war. Mm. Of course, he said that uh, probably a few decades ago, but I'm sure it's still true as to the proportions. The statistics have not changed. They have not changed. Over time. Absolutely. Um, And the Christian expectation is that wars bear witness to a fallen race. Mankind cannot end them. And that brings us to Psalm 46, 8 through 11. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Right. That's a psalm. It's basically a prophecy, as we shall see in just a few seconds. He ends wars, and purpose in doing that is that the nations will then exalt him, Mm. because war has been the great horror of mankind since the beginning. We will not see the ends of wars until the next age, when peace reigns. We get a vision of that from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. In the light of what is coming, let us strive for peace. Notice that the next age, there are no wars, but there are still disputes. People have issues and problems, and we'll see how this ties into the church of the Lord as we come to the conclusion of this podcast. Hmm. 
But there is a time coming when the nations will seek out God to settle their disputes instead of trying to wipe each other out. And, Lord, bring it soon. No kidding. There are two wars on planet Earth have been since the beginning. There's the visible wars, which we have right now, like with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and the invisible wars, which is behind the visible. This is because, first of all, when God created all things, he created two worlds, a visible world and an invisible world. Hmm. Let's look at that from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in the heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So, two realms, the visible and the invisible. Mm. And we've got to keep that in mind when we're thinking about what is it that causes so many wars in the visible uh, places of planet Earth. Let's take a look at the fact that there are, in fact, visible wars, Matthew 24, verses 6 through 7a. And you will hear of wars and rumor of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Right, disruptions on planet Earth and the wars, the rising up of kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation, will continue without stopping throughout this age. And again, this is testified to in the book of Revelation, in the opening of the seals of the scroll, which concerns the last days of planet Earth. Revelation 6, 1 through 4. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. So it is clear that wars continue up until the very end. Um, there are those who go out to conquer. So many wars are acts of aggression. They're not people trying to defend themselves. It's like we see today with Ukraine and, yeah. and Russia. And the conquering, the uh, acts of aggression lead to murder, warfare, bloodshed, horrible things. Now, the invisible war is what's taking place behind the visible war. Uh, we're going to look at a scripture from 2 Kings 6 in just a second. And the background is the king of Assyria is upset with Elisha. He wants to rub him out. He wants to cancel him. Hmm. So uh, he's planning to do that. He finds out that Elisha's at a city called Dothan. And so he gets his army together and surrounds Dothan at night so that when the morn comes, he can eliminate Elisha and the problem that he sees with Elisha. Listen to this from 2 Kings 6, verses 15 through 17. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw... And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Right. There were more uh, in the invisible realm for Elisha's side than in the visible realm with the king of Syria. So, there was about to be a visible war, but behind that is the invisible war. 
we could trace that a lot, but we need to just get in this broadcast the, the overarching pattern of truth of this invisible war. Luke 4, 5 through 8, which we've uh, used once or twice before in podcast, the uh, temptation of Jesus by Satan when he takes him up on a high mountain and gives him a vision. Chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Right. Now, in a sense, Satan makes a true statement that they've been delivered to him, but only by default, as we shall see. Mm. Uh, his end is coming. But nonetheless, the, uh, the great power behind the kingdoms of uh, the world and all their supposed glory, and if it's the glory that Satan is trying to tempt with, you know it's an illegitimate glory, not a good one, obviously. He can't create. He can only steal. He can only steal. Yeah. So, and Jesus, of course, refutes him. If we go to Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, we'll see another aspect of this invisible war behind the visible wars of mankind. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So here we see, trying to access heaven, He's been stopped from doing that. Jesus, in this vision prior to uh, this scene, has been raised up to the throne of God, and that's the end of any uh, official visits from, from Satan to heaven. And he's defeated by Michael and his angels. But that's what he does. He makes war. And now, now, now that he's been thrown down to earth, what will he be doing down there? Making war, using the visible realm for his cover. Let's look at verse 12 of that same chapter. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you. O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Exactly. He's got to do uh, the most damage he can in the short amount of time. He has, and that involves, among other things, primarily warfare. As we move on to verse 17, we find this. Then the dragon became furious, and the woman who went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who kept the commandments of God, and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Uh, the woman, of course, is a picture of the people of God, and uh, birth out of that is, of course, the uh, followers of Jesus who keep his commands and have his testimony. And Satan wants to make war against them. And this is primary. He will be doing wars against others, but it's only in order to do the war against the people of God, as we find it opened to us in Scripture. Mm. Uh, Satan, he's behind the dragon, he brings his dragon forth from the sea of the chaos, his ultimate, the beast. Um, and we find this in Revelation 13, verses 4 through 5. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. All right. He brings forth from the sea the picture of chaos uh, all bad things uh, from the deep. And this, whether we see this as uh, something that goes on throughout the, the entirety of the t 
time from the first to the second coming, whether it's there at the very end, uh, it's still the same truth, and that is that this this dragon makes war against the saints. Mm. That's what he does. That's his purpose. Uh, and doing that, he will have, as we'll see, collateral damage with others. But that's what he's doing. That's his whole point. That's his purpose, because he's serving uh, the, Satan, uh, who is the uh, the great dragon, this this beast. So then we come to verses 7 through 8. Also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was giving it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Yes, he is given by God this permission to do these things over the entire world. But his goal is to eradicate Christians. Keep mm. that in mind. Keep that in mind. What are the origins of war? Actually, believe it or not, they begin, in a sense, before even the first sin. Back in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28. Let's take a look at those verses. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Right, made in the image of God. And in this context, the first thing we see about that image of God is man was made to rule. God is the ultimate ruler, and we're in his image. So when he creates us, he puts us uh, in that mission to rule over planet Earth, to have dominion over it, and to subdue it. Uh, Adam and Eve to be the first of kings and queens, and they were to multiply. Now, paradoxically, this is exactly what mankind does after the fall. He goes forth to conquer, to have dominion, to subdue other people. Yeah. He does this because Satan has twisted, the, in a sense, the image of God and man, by way of his deceit. By way of I, I've never really thought about that, that we were made to have dominion over creation, but not over the created, uh, over over mankind. Over mankind, yes. Yeah. We were supposed to be all together cooperating, going forth in this mission, yeah. which will come to pass eventually in the, in the next age. But um, yeah, and to multiply, so man begins to multiply, not just by procreation, but by subduing other peoples to be his slaves and mm. servants. Uh, through war, through violence. Remember, the flood came because the whole earth was filled with violence. Mm -hmm. So this is what mankind does. It's pretty soon, it's Cain killing Abel, and after that, it's a whole lot of Cains against a whole lot of Abels. The ultimate horror of war, though, those horrors are because Satan's behind the rulers and kings, etc., of the visible realm. Now, both are real wars. We do not want to diminish the tragedy and the horror of the visible war at all. We're just saying there's two wars going on. The invisible one is the one that brings to pass the visible one. The invisible one is the one behind what we can see. Satan is using the visible to mask the invisible. Mm. Um, think of the wars of the 20th century and the loss of Christian lives. Here's a quote from Dr. Todd Johnson from the Gordon-Conwell uh, Theological School. This was back in December 18th of uh, 2019. He says, we estimate that more than 70 million Christians have been martyred over the last two millennia. 
more than half of which died in the 20th century under fascist and communist regimes. Mm. Now, if you've ever looked at the numbers of Christians and how they've been martyred, you may see a difference here. That's because Dr. Um, Johnson focuses on Christians being killed, not on the motive of who killed them. And that's key because a lot of people think, well, it was a war, Christians were collateral damage, everybody else got killed. As we read the Bible, we see it's what Satan wants mostly is to kill the Christians. Mm -hmm. It's clear, especially when you go through finally the book of Revelation. And especially when Christians kill other Christians. Oh, that, yes. Be it Protestant against Catholic or vice versa. How wonderful is that? Yes, right? it, yes it was back in the uh, Middle Ages. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and that's what we should do. Right now in the Ukraine, the world's reporting it's a war against Ukraine. But uh, maybe Randy can speak a minute too to the Christians and their Bibles and all the missions we have. Oh, yeah. In, in Ukraine? Yeah, there, there's actually a, a wonderful mission. Eastern European Mission is the name of it. And uh, it's been around now for, I, I think, close to 40 years. Uh, and it started with uh, the main person sneaking Bibles, you know, through uh, through the toll gates of, of Berlin and Poland, you know, to get Bibles into Eastern Bloc countries. And uh, it evolved eventually to the wars as well as the uh, conflicts over there creating opportunity to allow them to actually begin giving Bibles out. And one of the beautiful things is a Bible that was given out, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago was given to a woman um, and uh, and her grandchild or her child appreciated very much. Well, fast forward 40 years uh, or 20 years, excuse me, and that woman is now the head of, of uh, education for the Ukraine. And because she of her position, she said, we're going to have a Bible in every public school. So there's a, a Bible in every public school in the Ukraine. It, it is taught in public school in the Ukraine, mm -hmm. uh, which is a wonderful thing, um, all because of a Bible that was given out in kindness, you know, 25 years ago. There you go. And there we see two ways of corrupting people. Uh, one is Satan getting into our public education <laughs> and corrupting without, without the visible war. Yeah. And then, but doing to Ukraine Christians, the visible war, yeah. to do his invisible work behind that to uh, eliminate Christians. Yeah. Um, a lot one, of people don't know Ukraine is, is a Christian nation. Right. Uh, and more Christian than we are, yeah. <laughs> just so you know. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that struck me years ago as I studied trying to <laughs> figure out the book of Revelation was these seals, and Randy read a couple of them earlier. The first one is the the white horse, the rider on the right horse, and he goes forth to conquer acts of aggression. That's followed by the red horse, which means actually that's he brings about war. He doesn't bring about peace. Mm. He may be talking about peace, but he brings about war and bloodshed. Then there's the black horse. That's the third one, because uh, wherever war is, people are economically ruined, mm. like we see in Ukraine, and the infrastructure is gone. And then you come to the fourth horse, you know, and then the rider is death, and followed, uh, you know, by Hades, and that's the ultimate end of all these things of people who go forth to conquer when, and being a, supposedly a good guy on a white horse, you know, it mm -hmm. turns out not to be the case. When you get to the fifth seal... Unless it's Clint Eastwood. Unless it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. He rides on a pale horse. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about That's that one. Uh, well, Clint, if you're listening, way to go, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the fifth seal, when we come to that, all of a sudden, it's just different from the first four. So John says, I looked into heaven, and there on the altar were the souls of those who'd been slain for the witness, for Jesus, for the Lord. They're martyrs. They've been killed. And they're crying out to God, how long, O Lord, until you vindicate us from the innocent blood that have been shed on, on uh, from 
us down there on planet Earth and are told, wait a little longer, wear these white robes. You got to wait until the rest of your brothers and sisters who are also going to be killed yeah. have completed the number. Now, what is the importance of that? The importance of it that when you go through all the conquering by the, the guy on the white horse, which leads to the red horse of war and bloodshed, which leads to devastation in cities and communities, which leads finally to all kinds of death. Um, in the mix of all that, Christians were being killed. Mm. And that's why the fifth field says, notice what now, what has really been going on and what Satan is really after, which comes to fore when we go to chapter 12, like you just read from the book of Revelation. So this war begins in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Listen to this. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, there's the word of God that's with this war, and it's declared by God between Satan, the woman, and the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman, of course, we know, eventually becomes Jesus, which mm -hmm. in turn becomes seeds, plural, Christians. And But it's interesting, he says, I put enmity, meaning hostility, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. God declares that there will be hostility. He's the one who arranged this. Strangely enough, there's a war. You know, a war must be called just war theory by a legitimate authority. <laughs> God's a legitimate authority, and he says, from now on, war between these two. And how does it end? He's getting to the climax of things. Let's look back at Revelation 12 now at the first six verses. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Right. Now, why this invisible war aspect is uh, good to look at is because we know the visible aspect of what it looked like. In the visible realm, that was Herod, mm -hmm. backed by Satan, trying to kill the baby Jesus. And in the great imagery of Revelation, uh, Satan never had a chance because it's like he opens his mouth and zoom, the next thing he knows, Jesus is on the throne and it's all over. and He's going to get kicked out of heaven by uh, Michael and his angels. So this is how it begins to end totally. And we'll get to that in just a moment. So keep that in mind. That, that's the revelation. The word means apocalypse. It means to draw back the curtain. You know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. That's exactly what Satan wants. He wants Those aren't the doors you're looking yeah. for. You know. And Revelation pulls that curtain back. Mm -hmm. We see then his, his hideous ways of wanting to devour the child, uh, Jesus. But Jesus is going to rule the world in the next age. And then we drop down to verse 17 again, just to remind us of the connection to the woman, to her children, who are the Christians. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who kept the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. 
and he stood on the sand of the sea. Right. He stood on the sand of the sea, and then in chapter 13, he brings up that beast, which Randy read previously from chapter 13, where he uh, makes war on the saints. But he was given permission to have control over the whole world, but he makes war on the saints. Mm. Keep that in mind. So Satan's behind the rulers of nations, instigating, like with Herod, till he has a willing human partner. This begins in the Old Testament, as we've seen, but another way of pulling back the curtain and looking at this is in a strange chapter 10 of the book of Daniel. And what Daniel has been doing is seeking the Lord and praying about what's going to happen. And he has this vision. And what we learn from this vision about the invisible war is important. So let's go to Daniel chapter 10 and look at verses 12 through 14. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia and came to make you understand what has happened to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Right. He's trying to understand the visions he's been getting and, and will be getting. But notice this particular angel says, I was delayed in responding to you with your prayer request in what we call the invisible realm, which we will see in the New Testament is called the heavenlies. But it's the invisible realm. And he couldn't get past that, even though he had been sent by God on the throne to do uh, this good, great work mission, this word to, to, to Daniel. And finally, Michael, who we'll see is, by the time we get the New Testament, he is back called the archangel, uh, came and great gave him help, just like we saw in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. And so that way he finally got through to Daniel. That's what's going on all the time in the invisible realm, this battle between the angels of God and uh, the angels of Satan, between uh, the Lord and between Satan himself. We drop down to verses 20 through 21, we get another picture of this again. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Michael has really got quite the job. Mm -hmm. And interesting, this angel says, I have none except Michael. He's the one who's doing this warfare. He's the, the great warrior, as we saw in Revelation chapter 12 against uh, the invisible darkness of Satan and his horde. So we have Satan, who has the kingdoms of the world at his disposal. He's behind all this. Then he has his angels. As we saw, he took his angels to heaven at one point after Jesus was enthroned to try to get access, and he and his angels were cast out by Michael and his angels. So behind, behind them, the, the kings of like Persia and Greece are these angels of Satan. They're called princes because they're the ones who are also now calling the shots at Satan's behest. Daniel has had visions of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and then eventually the Roman Empire, these four great empires. And behind the king of Persia is the prince of Persia. Mm. And behind him is Satan. Behind the prince of Greece, the next nation that's going to rise up and conquer the world is Satan. And he's behind the, uh, the prince of Greece and whoever is the vision of the uh, invisible world, which would be Alexander the Great. Mm -hmm. And man, could we talk a lot about that. But anyway, we must move on. So Satan has his princes, his angels, his principalities, his powers, his thrones, 
this is what Paul is referring to when we come to the New Testament and hear him talk about these thrones and dominions and powers. This is in the heavenlies, in the invisible realm, where this war can constantly goes on, which causes us to see the visible wars of planet Earth. Let's take a look at Ephesians 3, 8 through 10. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone that is in the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Ah, the rulers and authorities, those very people that we find in Daniel chapter 10, in the heavenly places, or as we would say, in the invisible realm. Absolutely. Paul mentions this again in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 37 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yes, he mentions the angels, he mentions powers. Of course, angels there would be bad angels because good angels are not going to separate us from God. Mm -hmm. And the powers are, again, those powers, principality, princes that are in the invisible realm that are under the authority of Satan. But at the cross, Satan lost the war. Jesus prophesies this in John 12, and then we'll see the conclusion of it in uh, Colossians. John 12, 31 through 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. There you go. It's in the context of the cross and him being lifted up where this battle in the invisible realm, which has the outcroppings in the visible realm of all the wars we see and have known throughout history, in order that God can, or that Satan can get back at God and, and destroy his people, is uh, prophesied to come to an end at the cross. He'll be cast out. And so, Paul tells us, in fact, that is so. Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, by triumphing over them in him. There you go. At the cross, the principalities, the powers, the thrones, dominions, uh, the prince of whoever is the prince of Russia, whatever angels behind that mm -hmm. and so forth, um, has been defeated at the cross. Absolutely. In fact, in 1 John 3, uh, verse 8b, we have this declaration from John. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Yes, that's the end of that. That's part B of that verse. The reason Jesus appeared, that is a primary reason. This is what John is getting at. There are obviously other reasons, but this is a primary reason to destroy the works of Satan and all the wars he has caused in the visible realm by warfaring in the invisible realm against God and his uh, mission and his way of ruling the earth through good angels. The curious thing here is, we might say, well, if he destroyed the works of the devil and then Satan was cast out and defeated the cross, 
Why is he still here? Yeah. Why is he still going on? And we see some of that in Revelation, where permission was given to, like the beast in Revelation 13, to do this for 42 months, you know, to make war against the saints. It was given. So God has his own reasons, and we don't have time to go into that. Maybe one podcast will wear but Paul mentions it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 about the mystery of lawlessness uh, that is coming and the man of lawlessness. But for right now, God has his own purposes for allowing this to be so. He has given permission to continue the fight. When he kicked out of heaven from the chapter that uh, Randy read in Revelation 12, he knows his time is short. So he's, un he's understanding God is involved in this, but he is a, a proud spirit and his mind is deluded. Just like people who are liars and cheaters, mm -hmm. they do not think right, and that's the case with Satan. His time is short, and he wages war as he always has, uh, because as Jesus says in John chapter 8 uh, to the Pharisees, your father is the devil, and he's been a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Uh, but because his time is short, he's eager to orchestrate the greatest deception, causing the greatest lawlessness and rebellion. Now, just for those of us out there who are familiar with the just war theory, let's take a look at that and apply it to Satan. How does Satan wage war? Okay, let's take a look at the just war theory. It's going to be uh, declared by a legitimate authority. Satan's at war against everybody, but especially mm -hmm. God and his people. So, uh, and he, it's not legitimate. Does he have a just cause? No. Can he use, is he using war against mankind, and especially uh, the Lord and his people? As a, is it a last resort? No, it started in the garden. Mm -hmm. And uh, is he anticipating good? Only his own worship. Mm -hmm. That's what he wants, as he told Jesus. Does he have expectation of success? If he does, it's diluted, and he knows his time is short. Does he accept the rules of engagement? For instance, no collateral damage, no, no uh, targeting innocent people. No, mm -hmm. he does that all the time. Children, babies, men, women, young people. He's heartless. He's indiscriminate. He's relentless. Uh, that's what he's doing. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 uh, Peter says, uh, be alert, be sober. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling about like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. So that's what's going on right now. We know he's lost the war. So he's going to come to an end. But we must endure. And we must be, as Christians, we must be involved, as we will see on the next broadcast, this is part one, uh, of the spiritual warfare that we find, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 6. The horrible toll of war, visible war, real and grievous, is used by Satan to pursue his invisible war murdering mankind as collateral damage to get back at God. Satan never heard of the just war theory. He only wages war through deception and murder. Now, Christians are expected to wage the spiritual war as a priority, and we'll get into that next podcast. And this is so whatever each individual Christian may think, male, female, about participating in a visible war. Our first primary obligation is to be involved in spiritual warfare in the invisible realm. So even in visible war, the priority remains for the Christian to fight the good fight of faith. In Ephesians chapter 6, which we'll look at next time, uh, Paul says, put on the armor of God, because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but spiritual powers in the heavenly and in the invisible realms. So do we take off our spiritual armor if we're engaged in a visible war? No, it's all the more important we have our spiritual armor. Mankind can never end... War for the world focuses only on the visible war and lies in the grip of the evil one. 1 John 5, 19. All wars contain the seeds of the next wars to come. In the world, the war of Satan against mankind, God's people especially, continues. 
The world has no power to change the ways of Satan or to make peace with him. Only an exile will end it forever. Satan will be exiled. Jesus alone will end all wars at his return. Let's finish up with this from uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse, verses 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended, and that he must be released for a little while. God has granted divine permission for Satan to do his damage, um, even though he lost the war at the cross. And we saw that passage from First Peter, he goes about like a roaring lion, but this is near here in Revelation. This is why it's called a revelation. This is new information. He will be put away for a thousand years, a term meaning up for a long, long time. It may be literal. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's a long, long time. Mm -hmm. But notice he's put away because he's the one who deceives the nations. So wars end. And this is a picture of what we find in Isaiah chapter 2, when all the nations will go up to Jerusalem and take their war implements and turn them into plows and mm -hmm. pruning hooks. Beautiful imagery. Right. Then if we move down the same chapter, Revelation 20 to verses 7 through 10, we find this. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There you go. Now, the reason why we read this passage is to take note. There's no war while he's confined for a thousand years. The great deceiver is put out of planet earth. But when he's released, and notice here the God's way of doing things, he's released, what happens? The same thing he always does. He gathers nations together for a war against God and his people. Mm -hmm. And this time, first time in history, God does a preemptive strike, and he just ends it. It's over. And that brings on again the great judgment and the new heavens and the new earth in a sense of uh, beyond the, the kingdom and the age to come when Jesus returns. So, Satan is loosed. There's no change. All he does is war. He's like the Terminator. He'll be back. He'll be back. <laughs> He'll be back, absolutely. And all he does is kill, kill, kill. We need to see how we as Christians can train in spiritual warfare to be ready for the age to come when, in fact, uh, wars will be over and we will have peace. What we will be doing, we will look at that so we'll see that all this has a practical import on our Christian life. In our next podcast. Well, thanks, Jim. We have a lot to think about, and I'm sure there might be questions or comments about it. And we would love to hear those questions and comments from you. So please send your comments and questions to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. That's the word events, the word and, and the word expectations at gmail.com. We'll use your question or comment where possible, and we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations. Until next time, keep looking up.